We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Your Twin Cities radio home for business and investing news. The Biz 1440, KYCR Golden Valley. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. New poll shows most independents and Republicans believe natural immunity to COVID-19 is just as effective as the vaccines. The Trafalgar Group is releasing the results of a new national survey. 53% of independent voters believe people recovered from COVID-19 with natural immunity from antibodies have the same level of protection as those who are fully vaccinated. 16.4% do not believe natural immunity offers the same protection as vaccines. 60.9% of Republicans believe that people recover from COVID-19 with natural immunity from antibodies have the same level of protection as those who are fully vaccinated. 19.2% do not believe natural immunity offers the same protection as vaccines. Bernie Bennett reporting. Leaders from across Britain's political spectrum have come together to pay tribute to a long-serving British lawmaker who was stabbed to death in what police have described as an Islamic terrorist attack. This is SRN News. I can't believe we have to make this commercial. It's ridiculous. You'll think it's ridiculous, too. Listen to this. This commercial is about, well, it's about parents being rude at high school athletic events. Ridiculous, right? It gets worse. Studies show more than 75% of new high school officials are quitting because of bad adult behavior. So now there's a shortage of refs here in Minnesota. In almost all sports. No officials means no more games. Is that what you want for us? Come on, parents. It's time to grow up. Cheer for your team. Be proud of your children. But stop being so ridiculous. And don't make us run another commercial. Because we will. This message presented by the Minnesota State High School League and the Minnesota Interscholastic Activities Administrators Association. Reminding you to always practice good sportsmanship. I'm Staff Sergeant Mark Anthony I'm Madrid. Staff Sergeant Smith Cal. I'm Staff Sergeant I'm Alex Staff Stevens. Sergeant William Lewis, and I am proud to defend my family and our nation. The Air Force Reserve is part of the story of this great nation. I'm grateful that I have a chance to wear the uniform of the heroes that went before me. I'm proud to be part of a team that helps make a difference in the world. Every day, men and women from communities across this nation serve as reserve citizen airmen. Even as technology evolves and changes, our commitment to defend and protect this nation remains steadfast. We celebrate those who have served and those who are proudly serving. We celebrate our proud history and look towards an exciting and uniting future. Our mission is to fly, fight, and win in air, space, and cyberspace. And I'm proud to be a member. And I'm proud to serve in the United States. And I am proud to protect our country. Proud to serve in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. AFreserve.com Portions of this program may have been pre-recorded. Is it his time? Yes! 
Where's your hat? Turn all the lights on and kill the noise. The Biz 1440 presents the best two hours of economic news and commentary. It's the King Banyan Show, your source for penetrating economic insight, razor-sharp analysis, and unflinching universal thought. Oh, God, that's all I need. Everything you need to maintain clarity and stay ahead of the economic curve. Let's go while we're young. Now, here's Professor King Banyan. Welcome back, King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. Uh, on a nice fall day, uh, one of those fall days that tells you that summer is in the past and winter is in the offing. Um, time to make sure you've got uh, everything you need for your home to get ready for winter, which will be a little harder this time, this year, because you can't find stuff in sh- stores all the shelves are empty if you believe what you see on the television um to help me answer some of these questions about supply chain uh, i'm pleased this hour uh to welcome to the show first time i've had a chance to talk to him but i uh, really liked an article that uh, he he tweeted at me uh, uh, a couple weeks ago uh Pete Earle is a, sen- a senior fellow, I believe, uh, Pete, at, the, at uh, the American Institute for Economic Research, which, as I recall, Great Barrington, Massachusetts, correct? Yes, sir, that's correct. Great. Well, welcome. I'm a, I'm a fellow New Englander from New Hampshire. I'm in pain from last night's oh, loss okay. of, the, of the Red Sox, so uh, you might not be a Red Sox fan, because so, I don't well, know that you were fan. raised in there. Uh, well, well, well um, enjoy, enjoy watching. Uh, I'll leave it at that, Pete. Um, that's how, that's how I meet people. Are you, you're a Yankee fan? Well, okay. Uh, Uh, we'll get along. We'll get along anyway. We'll we'll get along anyway. It's uh, not (laughs) a problem at all. Uh, Hey, uh, I, I really, really enjoyed the piece that you, you tweeted at me and immediately said, this is really good. I'd really love to talk to you because you've dug in to the supply chain issue. And what I've been trying to point out is the complexity of it. Down to a, a, a clip I played in the last hour. I won't play it again. Uh, I won't play it again. But someone who operates a trucking firm saying, hey, remember, during the pandemic, the trucking schools closed. So all of a sudden, the supply of truck drivers uh, was interrupted by this. Um, and I think, that's, I, I think that sets us up for a theme that we want to talk about today which is, first of all, the complexity of the supply chain problem, which I think your article does in, in copious detail. Some really well research work here. And then, and then the public policy response to it, which I, I think is a bit ham-handed. Um, I'll say not more than a bit. I think it's quite ham-handed uh, in, in, in its reaction. Perhaps you disagree with that. But first, Pete, would you just give us a feel for the complexity of the problem that's out there right now? Sure. I mean, uh, I think a great place to start is when uh, Frederick Hayek said, you know, economics or the curious purpose of economics, I believe he said, was to show men what they can't, cannot, not can, but cannot design. And, you know, the global, I mean, every avenue of modern commerce, every variety of it, and certainly shipping is a component of that, is the product of no central plan, but rather of numerous independent entities, uh, in some cases profit-seeking, uh, getting together and uh, creating this really, really intricate, but, but fundamentally not purposely designed system to get stuff from one place to another. And, 
what we've seen is that uh, really, and I, I come back to this theme a lot, you know, we, a term is used a lot, you know, chaos theory or complexity. But really, I mean, while there's a lot of math there, I think the best takeaway is that in sufficiently complex systems, of which most of what happens in commerce and business, certainly shipping is one of them, even very small, seemingly innocuous tweaks made early on or to, very, to seemingly very simple components result in vastly different changes down the road. It's like, uh, um, it's like Jurassic Park, but instead of dinosaurs, it's ships or whatever, cargo, uh, uh, cargo containers. So uh, that's what we see right now, and it really started with, it really started with the coronavirus uh, non-pharmaceutical uh, non, uh, um, uh, uh, interventions last spring when lockdowns and stay-at-home orders and social distancing either shut businesses down or made them operate at much lower levels of, of, of efficiency or productivity, uh, which started to create slowdowns. And those the slowdowns, uh, you know, you could see them in GDP. You can see them in uh, other economic uh, metrics or other uh, you know, numbers that are published regularly. And what happened is what that did was that basically made the entire shipping system fragile, by which I mean at that point, because things were moving so slowly, even the slightest uh, perturbations or, um, or, or obstacles were bound to cause big trouble. Shall I continue, or uh, do you want to? No, let me let me let me let me, let me interrupt. <laughs> let me interrupt you with a couple things. I mean, that I I. Yep. So you you raised for me two questions. First of all, the source of that fragility, right? What we we built supply chains and we build supply chains largely because we're in search of profitable opportunities to specialize and trade with each other, right? So, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, so and that's an important point, and I borrow that language from Arnold Kling, who, who, who's, uh, who I think has been pretty prescient about the impact of, of the pandemic on, mm-hmm. on sustainable patterns of specialization and trade. Uh, I, think, I think we've lost some of those. Was the pursuit of I mean, but the, you will hear folks on the left say, well, the pursuit of profit is what made these, these uh, sp- supply chains so fragile, and so we have to curb them in some way. What's the answer to that from a person with your point of view? I mean, it's, it's, first of all, it's ludicrous. I mean, <laughs> uh, what, if they were not to pursue profit, why else would they do it? Uh, I mean, do, 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 do people with that ideology think that I'm going to wake up one morning, borrow billions of dollars, to build a port, to build, to, to invest in capital and get highly specialized workers, and then basically either push, by which I mean make nothing or lose. I mean, there's, it's, it, the profit incentive is what makes us serve one another and what makes us seek uh, competitively to do better and make things faster and make things lower cost and, and all sorts of, you know, by differentiation, create new uh, benefits and sort of, you know, add-on features and things like that. Um, I... I, I, I'm sometimes, to be honest with you, and I'm sure uh, I'm confident that you would agree with me. I'm sometimes at a loss, a complete loss, to explain that logic. Yeah, same here, same here. So when I hear the, uh, and we played one clip. I've got some others, but I think I'll save them till after you and I finish talking. Uh, from sure. uh, I play, I hear a uh, the uh, the executive director of the Port of Long Beach come on and say, "Hey." Normally, we don't have ships out off our off, you know, waiting, you know, adrift outside of our port, waiting to come into dock. But now we've got yeah. fifty, and we had seventy. I mean, I mean, I have to tell you what I hear in that voice is: he would like to have a bigger port. 
well, shoot, shoot, yep. wouldn't we all? But, but, but if we did, right, that is, that's a very expensive thing. And at this moment, he probably feels he has leverage to ask the government to build him more, build him a bigger port, right? Uh, but yeah. that's not being driven by profit and loss. That's being driven by an emergency. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, another factor here is that there are interest groups at play. I mean, uh, I mentioned in the article what are kind of stodgily and, I mean, economics is, the, is, is great at creating ugly and boring terms, like stagflation is the most ugly word ever. Um, nominal rigidities are something I speak about, which is to say there are certain prices, certain costs at play in ports and in other places, uh, which don't move when there's either higher volume or when there's more demand or whatever. They are sort of like they're, they're, they're sticky. They're sticky wages. And the purpose of, and basically the root of that in the ports is um, is collective bargaining. So, you know, one of the reasons why they're having trouble at various ports getting uh, containers off of ships is because even if the ships come in 24-7, the ports will only work in some places uh, in the U.S. from maybe 5 a.m. to, I believe, 8 p.m. And there are, you know, that that's negotiated by unions, and it also there are arguably, I say arguably because it's debatable, some safety issues there. But in many other places in the world, including China, uh, the ports run 24-7. Now, even if you could get the, the, the if you could reach a temporary agreement, um, you know, because expanding the ports will take years, so that's not really an option right now. Um, so even if you could get uh, the, the dock workers, the stevedores to work uh, 24-7 and add shifts and pay them even more than they make, they make a lot of money. Um, even if you could do that, now we have less truck drivers. So there are any number of, of, of you know, at every step, there's been some sort of a confounding issue. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, collective bargaining is, is an issue. The, you mentioned the truckers. Yeah, we have less truckers right now, partially because we paid people to be out of work for a while and because uh, trucking schools were closed. And, uh, yeah, there's just so many factors. I mean, it's hard to get them all. I, I, I don't think I covered them adequately in uh, my paper, but, I, you know, I was writing something for the site. I didn't want to write something that was, you know, book-length. You're right, right. Okay, and 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 we're talking with Pete Earle, uh, senior fellow at the American Institute for Economic Research, about his paper. I've tweeted it to you in, I, on my Twitter feed uh, at Banyan Show. An armor conspired the global shipping freeze. P, and it, I mean, it's lengthy. I mean, it, it's not a. Sh- it says reading time thirteen minutes, which I'm sure for some people, like, <laughs> oh, I ain't got that kind of time. But it's but it's important because of the complexity, right? Uh, it, it is. It's it's a complex story, and I think one of those pieces, Pete, is it, that we haven't talked about is, and you do, is what's going on with the trains in our train system to move cargo in the United States. Can you explain so a little bit of that, please? That could have gone into even. Yep, that's something I could have gone into even more. Sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the train piece is that, uh, um, you know, we've seen consolidation in trains over the last uh, uh, 50 years. Um, uh, trains are very highly regulated. They're also uh, subject to collective bargaining. I mean, uh, some of the research I was doing recently on stagflation, um, I didn't even know, being a kid in the 70s, that um, so many railroads disappeared and so many lines and trunk lines that they run on were canceled um, or, or, you know, they're just allowed to grow over with weeds. So, I mean, that's so our, 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 our railroad systems are also antiquated and very expensive. So there's, you know, w- w- for every type of, I mean, we have the system where containers are standardized. 
But again, in many cases, you know, the, the backlogs wind up uh, creating piles at the t- at the ports, and then those, you know, there's not enough trucks, and then there's certain types of shipping which are too expensive. Um, shippers need to maintain a, a certain degree of profitability. Firms that are shipping goods need to maintain maintain some profitability. So it may be that trucks are basically the, the price point for trucking is still re, still retains some profit, but for for trains it doesn't, or for planes it doesn't. So um, it's not just a case of substitutes. It's also the case that there are price points at over over and above which some of these um, commercial practices are just unprofitable. And I mean, nobody nobody's going to want to do that. I mean, it's uh, it's the idea that people would give up. Uh, profit or they should give a profit it just misses the entire point of why we do these things and how we add value by helping and serving each other all right we're going to put a pin in that right now because i need i need to engage in some commerce of my own but when we come back pete what i want to talk to you about is 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 that very price point and the idea that that in my mind when we talk about you know scarcity and shortages and so forth um, we ignore price in the entire conversation. I want to make that point with you coming up next. We're visiting with Pete Earle from the American Institute for Economic Research, and you are listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Sightseeing in Ferris, at the Mall in Bloomington, or on horseback in Dallas. We're where you are. Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. That's right, designed to heal, and now I agree. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor for Pete and Seth selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. That's correct. Each of the four ingredients deal with inflammation on a different metabolic pathway. That right there. Approaching your pain from four different angles may very well be why so many Americans find such wonderful pain relief. If you have back pain, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, or foot pain from exercise or even just getting older, you must order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only nineteen ninety-five to see if it will work for you too. I think it could. Give your body what it needs to heal itself. Go to relieffactor.com. Call 800-500-8384. Relieffactor.com. Whether you're preparing for a typical Sunday morning or a special holiday service, you'll find an array of helpful, creative tools from Worship House Media. From countdown timers to sermon illustrations, visit worshiphousemedia.com. That's worshiphousemedia.com, a division of Salem Media Group. The institutions use the markets to create income and get better returns for their investors. They are consistent year after year using tools that most people know nothing about. Learn the skills to invest and trade with the institutions at a free investing class in our local Twin City Center or virtually at 952-814-4410. Discover the tools the institutions use daily at Online Trading Academy, 952-814-4410, or go to learnwithota.com. If you could build the world's greatest radio station, where would you start? We'd begin by creating a live station that's able to provide breaking news updates. 
Then we'd install some of today's top political voices behind the mic. Finally, we'd craft a convenient way to listen with a specialized mobile app. No, it's not a work in progress. It's on the air now. AM 1280 The Patriot. Intelligent radio. Online at am1280thepatriot.com. There are those who dedicate themselves to a sense of honor, to a life of courage, and a commitment to something greater than themselves. They have always defended this nation and each other. They still do. The few, the proud, the Marines. Welcome back, King Bingy Show. The Fizz 1440. Sean, sometimes you just surprise me. We're visiting this hour with Pete Earle uh, uh, from the American Institute for Economic Research. Pete, before I get to the questions I had, there was a tweet uh, in in our stream uh, using the hashtag PoundKBRS that I wanted to share with you. Uh, from one of our regular uh, commenters. Um, in addition to the shipping system and its subsystems, can't the backlogs also be observed in hospital beds and ICU beds? Is it the result of a paradigm shift away from just-in-time scheduling used in both systems? So the just-in-time scheduling system is a key factor here, yes. Um, one of the ways that uh, businesses have figured out um, how to lower costs and how to make uh, goods more affordable um, and also how not to be caught uh, flat-footed with, say, more inventory and factor items, which is to say inputs uh, that producers use to create goods. What they generally do is they try to get goods, uh, create goods, almost like print-on-demand, right, create goods as orders come in. Um, they keep a little bit of reserve in terms of, uh, um, uh, you know, extra materials and things like that. But, you know, now with uh, uh, digitized um, inventory and all that stuff, they, they get very good over time in figuring how much they need, even if there is a sort of a spike in demand. Uh, so that what, what that does is it means that once uh, there's a really unanticipated, a really sort of uh, unusual spike in demand, uh, they are unable to fill those orders. So, yeah, I mean, this is, we, we, we're learning, it, I think this was predicted a long time ago uh, that this was a possibility, but we've never really seen it writ large like we have recently. Yeah. So, so Pete, though, I, I mean, in, our, in the way that I think you and I both think about these issues, to me there's an answer to this problem, right? You can talk about the ports, you can talk about the trains, you can talk about the trucks, you can talk about the drivers and, and the warehouses and all of that. But at the end mm-hmm. of the day, if you allow the free market to do what it does, the price system allocates those goods best. It signals using the price system where we need more things and where we need less, and it signals where you could substitute and where you can't, uh, or where substitution is going to give you a, a pretty lousy outcome. Um, is the ant- is, you know? And I keep hearing people say inflation's a problem, inflation's a problem, and, and, and I sort of want to hit pause to say, are we sure it's a problem? Or is it, in fact, part of the solution to the interruptions to supply that are happening right now? So it's an excellent question, and really uh, it goes to the heart of the matter that led uh, 
I don't know if it was FDR or Truman to say, find me a one-armed economist, because we always say, well, something, something, but then on the other hand. Uh, so right. basically, so basically, there are two things happening. First is, it, it appears that we do have inflation, which is the monetary phenomenon whereby a lot more money in the economy is chasing the same amount of goods. There is some of that. But to the extent that prices are rising in things like... Uh, shipping containers and rates, that is all an attempt to try to ration. Prices signal shortages, they signal surpluses, and that helps firms and consumers all over the place react to changing conditions. I mean, one of the things that's happening now is that people are, uh, is that uh, people in firms are finding old shipping containers that they might have on their property that they've been using to store landscaping equipment, whatever, and, and those are coming into the market because of the prices that they're fetching. Uh, in the same way, you know, when you have prices of something like oil rise, you, you start finding uh, uh, repositories and things like that start coming into the market to capture those higher prices and capture the profit inherent in them. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, is, that is a big piece. A big piece is letting prices work. But, I mean, to their dubious credit, I haven't heard anybody talk about uh, uh, price caps or anything like that, government price caps on, say, containers or shipping rates or anything like that. But there's right. no time. <laughs> yeah, there is. There is. I mean, I mean, there, that, those things could happen. So we could see people try to interrupt that by using legislation or uh, and or sure. and trying to interrupt that. And that that to me would be a bad thing. I think it makes matters worse. So you know, when I hear I President Biden go to a podium and and say, "I've got a team that's going to fix the supply the supply chain problem," I cringe because it's like I yep. I really don't think I really don't think it can be better. I think you're probably going to you have a much better chance of making things worse. You might make it better, but if you do, it's going to be an accident. Uh, the right? is much so, more likely. I agree. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so here though is the bigger question. So when I say that, people are like, "But inflation's bad," and I say, "Maybe." Um, I mean, you're right. One one hand, you know, the 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 quote about a one armed economist. But I also believe, as Tom Sowell once argued, uh, there are no no solutions, only trade offs. Right. So Absolutely. so to me, so I think there's a trade. I think maybe we look at the prices like okay, that's a that's one direction we can go, and we can you know, and I actually think it ends up allocating better. But here's the best argument that I have against using prices in this case, which is the thing that you were you said you mentioned you were studying, the stagflation of the nineteen seventies. When these yes, price increases from the one time thing get embedded in wage and price increases and you get caught in a spiral. If you're reading about this, and I didn't know before you and I before you and I talked today, I didn't know you were reading this area, but I do know that monetary policy is actually in your wheelhouse of what you do with AIER, um, that what what have you learned from that, and what might we learn from that period? Well, what the, one of the biggest questions that we're asked these days, I'm asked this day, these days, is are we heading towards stagflationary conditions? And that would mean that we have rising inflation, but we also have a slowing economy. And uh, that's what we had in the 70s, and I can remember being a kid, uh, seeing gas lines and hearing about prices rise. And I grew up in a blue-collar household of immigrants, so, you know, money was tight. And I, mean, I remember it viscerally. But what I would say is that I don't see that happening yet. And I say yet. We have the inflation part, but the, stag the stagnation part I don't see just yet. Um, certainly what's happening in shipping doesn't help. 
But I think that uh, looking at the tremendous cash position that many businesses and individuals have right now, many the average American household has something like two to three times the cash on hand or cash in their bank account that they did 20 years ago, which is, which is unusual because Americans are inveterate spenders and consumers. Um, because of that, I don't see the stuff, if you will, for a slowdown. Now, if inflation rises more and household allocation decisions, you know, and more of the household income is taken up by, say, gasoline and food and energy prices, this is what you see in the CPI, then we could, you know, if, if by which I mean if American consumers and businesses burn through their, that cash that they have faster, then we could start to see some sort of a slowdown, but I don't see it just yet. I haven't looked at the data for a couple months. I remember one time we had sort of a statement of the ex, of what they believed to be, and I didn't like this word, excess savings, but I think you know what I mean. It's sort of like savings savings above the level that was there pre-pandemic, which, I think, which yeah. is too many words, but you know what I mean. Where are we on that now? I mean, how much of that, how much of that, that, that stock of cash that we received in 2020 and 2021, how much of that has, have households burned through and how much is still there? Uh, there's a lot still there. Um, basically, uh, uh, as, as, as I mentioned before, we, we do have, um, you know, very high levels of cash, uh, something like two to three times what, what was held on hand um, uh, just, just you know, in, in the early 2000s when we were at an all-time low of basically savings as a percentage of income. Uh, discretionary income is actually very high right now. Uh, but like I said, I mean, the concern is that, you know, if we have continued problems with shipping, and that, that means continued problems with firms, you know, actually realizing revenue and that sort of thing, and if the, the inflation, which is now running at a 5.4% year-over-year rate, um, but there's a caveat to that, uh, if it continues to rise, yeah, then we, then, then we could see the conditions that would bring about, you know, a slowdown. And, you know, you mentioned before the wage price spiral. That's something that should be watched very closely, because as prices rise, not only are people paying more, but they begin demanding from their employers higher compensation. And then what happens there is that as compensation does rise over time, it winds up, uh, companies wind up having to rise, raise their prices to, to make up for, for um, the, the, the added expenditure on, on wages. So that happened in the 70s. It's another bad thing that happened in the 70s, uh, economically speaking, and um, it's something that should be watched mm-hmm. right now. Wages are rising, but so far uh, not, uh, not in a way that's being tremendously out, out, outpaced by, um, by uh, uh, inflation. One last question, and fairly quick, because I know you, I know, I know you got to run. I also know uh, you're, you have expertise in financial markets. I'm sure you're someone that watches monetary policy. Is there anything in the supply issue that we're talking about right now that would cause you to think the Fed should be going slower or faster in terms of its uh, monetary policy uh, stance toward, away from QE uh, yeah. that it's been doing so far? The Fed has a very long road ahead of them because what they first they're still doing asset purchases at the rate of I think eighty billion a month or actually it's higher than that it might be one hundred twenty one twenty yeah it's so about one hundred twenty billion a month so they first need to taper that that's the taper everyone speaks about they can't really raise rates before they do that because they would be if they, if they raise rates even slowly and they're putting money into into the economy by 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 doing these asset purchases every month they're working against themselves. Right, I mean, to, to buy assets and to put money in the economy is to basically ease 
monetary policy is expansionary, and raising rates is contractionary. So first they need to end the taper, which they said they will probably November or December. Then they've said they've suggested in the summer of 2022 they will start raising rates, and then comes the whole issue of um, trying to run off the balance sheet. The, the balance sheet is another issue, but that, and that will that also will be somewhat expansionary because they're holding securities that when they when actually it, it, it will be somewhat contractionary because they're holding short-term securities that as they run off, which means as they mature, the money will come to the Fed and they'll probably just hold on to it. it. It's a very long road ahead, and if inflation were to suddenly start increasing very rapidly, it would be very difficult for them to uh, raise rates in a way that doesn't upend the economy, especially given that we have all these issues with shipping and so on. It's a, I don't envy them at times. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. I think it's a tough job, but uh, I would say, you know, I will say I think it's a mess of their own making. Uh, so, Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not to, I'm not willing to cut them too much slack, but a little bit, uh, certainly. Hey, Pete, <laughs> I want to thank you. You initially thought 30 minutes would be more than enough. Uh, I could have done 30 more with you. I really appreciate your time. I know you got to run, so I'm going to let you get to the rest of your day. But thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I pre- uh, thank you. That was Pete Earle from the American Institute for Economic Research uh, talking about supply chain. I will be right back with some more of the show today. You're listening to the King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. Inflation or deflation, tell me if you can. We become Zimbabwe or will we be Japan? Credit markets came undone and still are in distress. Hi, everyone. This is Mary Carey from America's number one travel radio show, inviting you to join Robert and me and Rudy each Sunday as we cover the ever-evolving world of travel and explore the world together on RM World Travel. Tune in this Sunday evening at 7. Impact Mortgage Corp. DBA Cash Call Mortgage NMLS ID 128231 Equal Housing Lender. Not licensed in all states including New York. Call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions. As everyone knows, home values have skyrocketed. Chances are your home has gained a ton of equity. Why not use your home's equity to upgrade your house? How about a new pool in your backyard or a new kitchen? Turn your home's equity into cash with a cash out refinance loan from Cash Call Mortgage. If your mortgage interest rate doesn't start with a 2, we may be able to lower your mortgage rate and get you cash. See just how low our rates are at CashCallMortgage.com. Get started on upgrading your house with a cash-out refi from Cash Call Mortgage. For a free quote to see if you qualify, go to CashCallMortgage.com or call us today. Call 800-931-6651. That's 800-931-6651. 800-931-6651. Are you the principal or leader of a Christian or Catholic school? Would you like to fill the empty seats in your classrooms for no cash out of pocket? TwinCitiesTuitions.com would like to team up with you on our tuition program for first-year students. You'll be part of a marketing campaign to raise awareness about your school and gain new students for next year and beyond. Again, at no cash investment for your school. Get details by logging on to TwinCitiesTuitions.com. That's TwinCitiesTuitions.com. Meet Tim. Hey, what's up? He's the person you hired for your digital marketing strategy. And when he's done battling aliens on his PS5 in his parents' basement, I'm sure he'll get right to work. 
Now, meet the team at Salem Surround. What's Hi there? Over 200 digital media strategists with all the current digital tools, resources, and training bringing your business the real results you need. These are the people who are passionate about your marketing success and will work 24-7 to deliver customers to you and your business. So, Tim. Yes, level 12. I'm going to be here all night. Or the team at Salem Surround. Why trust your digital marketing to one person when you can hire a whole team? Nationwide exposure, experience, and expertise. Let our team of experts focus on your digital marketing strategy so you can focus on your business. It's an easy decision. To learn more about Salem Surround, call 651-289-4418. 651-289-4418. Salmon fishing in Alaska at an amusement park in Green Bay or taking a stroll through Loring Park. We're where you are. Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Trying to make a living gets harder every day. By the time I see a dollar, there's another bill to pay. I got a wife and family. and the Welcome back, King Daniel Show. Biz 1440. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks again to uh, Pete Earl for visiting with us in the last half hour. Good, good, uh, good, good talk. If uh, you just tuned in now, let me just tell you, you need to go to TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com and you need to grab the podcast of our show. And if you to do that, of course, you need to be a VIP club member. It's only it's free. Just takes a little little minute to sign up and. And uh, the emails are not are not voluminous. Okay, trust me on this. You'll be you'll you'll be happy. the re- The return on your investment will be substantial. Uh, join that VIP club. Download our show. Please listen uh, early and often. Uh, and uh, we we appreciate that. Um, I, I want to make a couple more points about about the uh, the port. Uh, I played this clip uh, in the previous hour. Of the show, which you also can grab the podcast of uh, on TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. But we played this clip for you. This is Mario Cordero. He is the executive director of the Port of Long Beach. And he's trying to describe the state of the the state of play at the ports in Long Beach. And sort of gives you uh, some perspective on this. Let's play this again. Cut number six, please, Sean. Uh, yesterday, at the nation's largest port complex here at the Port of Long Beach and Port of L.A., we had 52 vessels waiting to get in to the port. Uh, and we had as high as 70 a couple of weeks ago. So to put that in the proper context, in normal times, we have zero, maybe one or two at best. And the wait times on these are typically somewhere between five to seven days. So that's five to seven days with a container, a ship, a crew, all sitting out at sea, burning burning energy, waiting to get into a port. And then you need to get the stuff unloaded. And that's just one side of it. And so what is the issue? Well, as, as we discussed with Pete Earl in the, in the previous half hour, a lot of the issue is simply the fact that they can't get the labor, they have been closed, and so forth. Let's play, let's play this. Cut number seven, please. Labor cost is a big factor. But again... Uh, one of the things that we have seen about labor, particularly the men and women who work on the docks, ever since the COVID uh, pandemic commenced here in early spring of 2020, these men and women have been working on the docks day in and day out. So I think, again, 
the question is, what's the cost of doing nothing? Uh, certainly, it's a lot more than paying labor. I think what they properly should pay, be paid with regard to a third shift, and I'm talking about a shift that's from three to seven in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's the key factor. So the key, so right now, the contract with the with the Stevedores, the International Longshoremen Workers Union, is is. A you know it's longshore and warehousing warehousemen's union. I sorry, I keep getting the W wrong. Um, the that contract says they're only open approximately fifteen hours a day, and and closes them overnight. So they would like to bring more people on, and and yes, I mean you could you could go ahead and do that, but that of course is going to cost more. Um. So they do cite the contract as being one of the issues, but as I've been trying to say through the show and had Pete emphasize for me here today, it's only one side of the problem. The The actions being taken by the Biden administration to assure that the docks open 24-7, 365, and compelling uh, changes in, in work rules at the dock will only solve the problem if then you can make sure that the trucks are running, the trains that move the intermodal uh, construction, the, those 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 bo- container boxes that get loaded off a ship onto a truck and from a truck onto a train and then from a train onto another truck and then to a warehouse and then onto another truck yet to go to its final destination. Um, that all has to come into play and in place. Um, he has one more thing to say. Play cut number eight, please. Well, there's two things to that. Number one, Long Beach has been pushing for that even before COVID hit. And number two, the fact of the matter is, as you mentioned, uh, other parts of the world are 24-7. In fact, the containers that you referenced, 40% of the nation's containers loaded imports from Asia come into this complex. And where do they come from? Asia. And the, and the model there is 24-7. So for that, so they're moving things at 24-7 because they don't have the same work rules that the U.S. ports have. And those work rules are, can be different at different ports, okay, because they're not negotiated as a national, you know, on a one national basis. They can be different at different ports. So some ports might have uh, different opening and closing times than others. Um, and, and he points out, so you can see, he says, before the pandemic, we were pushing to be open 24-7. My point on this show has been, you should be asking, you should be asking for um, the question, at what cost? If we are open 24-7, we, we, I mean, either you're going to end up with a new set of workers who will not be as skilled as the ones you already have. They will not have experience. They are likely to be folks that, that make mistakes. They're going to be learning on the job. That's going to increase the cost of shipping, or you're going to have to bring them, you have to continue to use workers and have them work longer hours, in which case you're paying overtime, which is time and a half, and that cost has to be passed through. And here is the key, here's the key point, and I think Pete was trying to make this point in the previous segment. There's a point at which prices will not support the increased cost of shipping. Okay, let me repeat that. There's a point, there's a price at which 
there, there's a cost at which the price you receive on the good will not carry all of the transportation cost, right? What, what are those likely to be? Those are likely to be bulky products. So I was corresponding with a, with a friend of mine who is actually stationed with his, uh, with his wife working on an Air Force base in Korea. They just recently moved there. In the process of shipping, their bed was broken. They can't sleep on the bed frame they have. They would, okay, they'd like to get another bed frame, okay? It turns out, by the way, Seoul has an Ikea. So, of course, of course, what immediately do you do? You go to the Ikea store and you go say, hey, I need a bed. Months, if then, before they can get it. Now, the shipment actually is probably going to be easier because the ships all coming to the United States are chock full of, of goods coming out of Asia. But the ones going back are not chock full. Indeed, there's, there are reports that there are empty containers being sent back to Asia. And, and my friend says, can they put my bed on one of those? <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. Um, that, that, would be, that would be good. Um, so if you, look at the, if you look at shipping, I'll have to send these out to you. These prices induce changes in behavior. And, and just to m- make this point uh, in, in a broader sense, we know that recently companies have been trying to reshore their production to build in redundancies in their supply chain so that in their in their inputs so that they can be sure they get the inputs when they can just in time production can cause things to break how is that all motivated the answer of course is price the price system motivates businesses to change the place where they produce, how much they produce, how much they store in inventory. It is all determined through supply and demand. The alternative to that, the alternative to that is going to be, is only one thing. It's going to be some kind of command and control. You're going to have another press conference where, where President Biden and a group of secretaries of, of, of commerce and transportation and maybe, maybe health and human services are going to come forward and say, we have a plan and we will tell you where these goods need to go. I'll be blunt. I'm, I'm a free marketer uh, and I'm unabashed in it. And, and I want the price system to make those decisions. Using the inflation problem right now, which many which many folks who are of the, of the party that's not in the White House right now are saying to beat up on the, the administration, um, to beat up on what they're doing and talking about Jason Furman's tweet, and, you know, well, yeah, inflation, you, you act like inflation's not a problem. Pro- not every price increase is inflation. Some price increases are the, are the product of, the, of supply and demand and are doing their work to try to reallocate goods, not just reallocate the production process, but also to reallocate the consumption process to induce you. So that my friend in Korea, you know, says, says they tell him, yeah, you can get a bed and we can have a bed for you in three weeks, but uh, it's going to cost you $6,000. And he looks at his wife and his wife looks at him and they say, yeah, you know what? The mattress can just stay on the floor. They choose to take. They choose to do that substitution. 
and they step out. And that's exactly what the price system does. And that's why I worry about I worry about the embedding of inflation into the expectations, but at the same time, I'm not going to, I'm, I, some of these price changes are price changes that I think need to happen. When you have a supply shock, relative prices between goods need to change to pick up those new sustainable patterns of, of specialization and trade and adjust away from the old ones that are no longer profitable. That's not a bad thing. That's progress. We'll be back after this. You're listening to The King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. The Biz 1440, KYCR Golden Valley. Okay, we are running a car drive right now to help veterans all across America. So if you have an old car, truck, or van, even a motorcycle or an RV sitting around, you can right now give it away and help the vets. They really need your help. And your car will help support the vets and their families. And guess what? You even get a tax donation. Plus, we'll even come and pick up your car for free. And all you've got to do is pick up your phone right now and make a free call. Now is the perfect time to do something. Something good for the vets. Give back to the vets right now for all they've done for this country. And your old car can really help them. So call the Veterans Car Donation Program right now for free pickup of your vehicle. Help the vets and help your taxes at the same time. Call right now. 800-884-9018. 800-884-9018. That's 800-884-9018. Brighten someone's day with the free e-card from the largest online Christian greeting card site, CrossCards.com. There's one for every occasion, birthdays, holidays, or just to let someone know you care. CrossCards.com is a division of Salem Media Group. Tell me why Relief Factor is so successful in lowering or eliminating pain. I'm often asked that question. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father and son founders of Relief Factor, tell me they believe our bodies were designed to heal. That's right, designed to heal, and now I agree. The doctors who formulated Relief Factor for Pete and Seth selected the four best ingredients, 100% drug-free ingredients that each help your body deal with inflammation. That's correct. Each of the four ingredients deal with inflammation on a different metabolic pathway. That right there. Approaching your pain from four different angles may very well be why so many Americans find such wonderful pain relief. If you have back pain, shoulder, neck, hip, knee, or foot pain from exercise or even just getting older, you must order the three-week quick start now. Discount it to only nineteen ninety-five to see if it will work for you too. I think it could. Give your body what it needs to heal itself. Go to relieffactor.com. Call 800-500-8384. Relieffactor.com. What does it mean to be a Christian woman in our current culture? How does your faith in Christ relate to the world around you? At times, being a Christian can seem like an overwhelming task in today's busy and challenging landscape. That's why you should visit iBelieve.com, a site designed for Christian women. Whether you're looking for insight, conversation starters for your church group, or just an uplifting message, you'll find it at iBelieve.com. Visit iBelieve.com, a division of Salem Media Group. Soaking up the sun in Fiji, walking through the Sculpture Garden in Minneapolis, or standing in awe at the Grand Canyon. We're where you are. 
Listen to the Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Welcome back. King Banyan Show, The Biz 1440. Before we go today, just a few minutes. Um, want to salute uh, three economists uh, who won the Nobel Prize uh, on Monday this week uh, in economics. Uh, David Card, uh, along with... Um, David Card won, uh, won the Nobel Prize, along with Joshua Angrist and uh, Guido Imbens. Um one of those really weird ones where they actually gave half of it to one person card and gave a quarter each to the others, which only, which only matters in so far as it changes the payout since there's a cash prize cards going to get double what the other two get. I, I can only, I, I haven't any idea why. Uh, maybe I do because it's the card paper that I think people want to talk about, but let me talk about it in more detail. In, in more general terms, particularly given I've got a few people who listen to the show who have a natural sciences background. Um, David Card is best known for the Card and Kruger article that was sort of the launch point for an attack on on uh, the the received wisdom about minimum wage laws. When I was a when I was a college student, a grad student, and when I first started teaching economics, if you went to the textbook and said what do, what do economics textbooks say about minimum wages? They would say minimum wages are a bad idea. They reduce employment, and particularly for teenagers. That's it. That's what they had to say. They're, they're, nest, they're usually a bad idea. And it was so well-received an idea that, as pointed out by Jeremy Horpdahl on, a, on one of my new favorite blogs out there, Economist Writing Every Day, Jeremy notes, you know, there was it was so well received that the New York Times actually wrote an editorial asking to abolish the minimum wage. The New York Times. I know it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, so, so, um, so, there were a few papers that were written that were a little bit different. But here's the problem: all of the papers that were written only looked at teenagers. Jeremy points. Jeremy points this out. Only looked at teenagers only looked at changes in the federal minimum wage and used time series data. They used aggregated time series data on teen, un- on teen employment and teen unemployment. What Card and Kruger did was they said, look, I've got, uh, they looked and said, that I've got this natural experiment. Okay. Uh, that several states had been increasing their, their minimum wages um, relative to others. And so what they did was was they saw that New Jersey had raised their minimum wage and Pennsylvania nearby had not. Pennsylvania and New Jersey sit next to each other, and there's a lot of people that travel back and forth between the two states. And so what they did was they looked at fast food restaurants and said, and said, let's look at the change in employment between New Jersey and employment for teenagers working in fast food restaurants. They did it by calling restaurants in, in counties uh, that were next to each other, separated, separated by a state boundary. And they found there really wasn't much of a change. And this launched a whole thing. It was a natural experiment to do that change. Now, there are lots of problems with the Cardin-Kruger study. 
lots of problems. And it's not my point to re-litigate all of the minimum wage debate that's happened since then. You can go read about it. It's everywhere. It, it's, it's in a lot of places. But the point and, the, and sort of what I liked about what Jeremy's written and other people have written is there's a commonality here, which is what economists did as a result in no small part of what Card and Kruger did and then later what Josh Angrist and Guido Imbens did was start to look for natural experiments, places where they could take two groups of people who were similar, but then some shock happened to one group and then the very similar people it didn't happen to. We don't get to create laboratories and do do experiments. Oh, not much. We, there is a field of experimental economics. It, too, has received a Nobel Prize, including the one for Vernon Smith. But, but by and large, uh, economists have been looking more and more for these. And the fact that we now study minimum wages by looking at differences in states or differences in counties, which even can have differences in their minimum wages – that's all because of the work that was done first by Card and Kruger and then all, then by Angrist and Imbens and those folks. And all of that information has really helped us get a much better idea of what happens in labor markets um, than what we knew back in the 80s. Okay, It is one of the areas in which what I learned in college and what I learned in grad school and what I initially taught in college is different. It's changed as a result of some of, of good research. And the fact that we are still arguing about Carden Kruger doesn't mean that, that that research agenda is bad. It probably means it was a good agenda, and we're, we're glad we did it. So congratulations to the three of them, and I wanted to take a little time to explain that to you. We will be back next week. Well, actually, actually, we'll be gone next week. We'll be back in two weeks with another edition of the King Banyan Show on The Biz 1440. The Autumn Leaves of Red Act. It's 1440. KYCR Golden Valley. A service of Salem Media Group. Streaming globally at TwinCitiesBusinessRadio.com. With SRN News, I'm Bob Agnew in Washington. British Home Secretary Priti Patel says a police investigation is underway into the killing of a conservative member of parliament who was stabbed in a small English town east of London. There are obviously discussions around MP security too. And when we think of David, David himself, man of the people, he was killed doing a job that he loved, serving his own constituents as an elected Democratic member. The 69-year-old David Ames was attacked around midday on Friday. Officials describe it as an Islamist terrorist attack. Customs data show China's imports slowed down while exports accelerated in September, pushing the U.S. trade deficit higher on sustained demand and a trade surplus for China on sustained demand from the U.S. and Asia. It was a booming session for investors to end the week on Friday. The Dow up by 382 points. This is SRN News. Oh, my goodness, what a week six showdown we had in Iowa City. Hawkeyes rallying late to knock off Penn State. And this week we're on Rocky Top for Ole Miss at Tennessee. We'll be singing, and both these teams could be singing, both with just one loss in the SEC. So a monster game as we're kind of getting to that halfway point of the season to see how things are going to measure up for the rest of the year. Join us for it Saturday at 6.30 on your home for college football Saturday night. We are the Biz 1440. Salmon fishing in Alaska at an amusement park in Green Bay or taking a stroll through Loring Park. We're where you are. 
Listen to The Biz 1440 at odyssey.com or with the free Odyssey app. Being in the Army National Guard is about more than serving your country. It's about being there for your community when your neighbors need you most. The Army National Guard makes college affordable, and serving part-time can help you graduate debt-free. Do you want to stay close to friends and family? The Guard allows you to serve close to home. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard lets you have the life you want. Learn more by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. Are you stuck in a timeshare you want out of? Tired of wasting thousands of dollars a year on maintenance fees and mortgage payments? Call now to get a free consultation and discover how to legally cancel your timeshare. The professionals at the Titan Exit Group are timeshare termination experts. In fact, they are so confident they can get you released from your timeshare, they offer a 100% money-back guarantee. If your timeshare is not canceled, you owe nothing. There's nothing to lose but the headaches and payments. Call the Titan Exit Group for your free consultation now. 800-200-0894. That's 800-200-0894.